Get ready for biblical preaching and teaching. I am Pastor Adam Bigelow. Isn't it time to get unstuck? This is the Reaching Forward Podcast. So Psalms is kind of right in the middle of the Bible. And did you know that you had a hymnal in your Bibles? Oh, preacher, I don't have one of those. You do. And there are 150 songs, and the Bible calls them Psalms. So if you go to Psalm 100, there are only five verses, and we like to teach on some reasons to rejoice. Some reasons to rejoice. A psalm of praise, verse 1. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all ye lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. Know ye that the Lord, he is God. It is he that hath made us, and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving, and into his courts with praise. Be thankful unto him and bless his name. For the Lord is good. His mercy is everlasting and his truth endureth to all nations. We want to look at five reasons to rejoice in Psalm 100. First of all, a man who is sentenced to life in prison. He decides to dig a tunnel and escape his prison term. So he works for many months on this tunnel and he finally finishes it and he decides, I'm going to break out during the day because they're not going to expect me to break out during the day. So he climbs through his tunnel during the day and comes to the surface and when he breaks out into daylight, he finds himself in a preschool playground. So he just broke out from life in prison. He's at a preschool playground. He looks around. He sees little kids playing. He's like, whatever, I'm going to rejoice. So he just lifts up his hands and he goes, I'm free. I'm free. And this little girl approaches him, puts her hands on her hips and says, big deal. I'm four. What happens when you rejoice in the Lord? Reasons to rejoice. Reasons to rejoice. When you rejoice in the Lord, verse 1, the first thing is that you are really responding to a call. You are responding to a call. I remember the first time I went to church and I got a call. Preacher, you had cell phones back then when you were that young? No, I didn't have a cell phone. The Holy Spirit began, I don't know if maybe you remember this, the Holy Ghost began to deal with my heart. There was a call, and I'm looking around going, is it just me? And what did you want to do? I wanted to leave the church. That's what I wanted to do. I did not want to answer the call, right? And, but at at the end of the service, I gave my heart to Jesus Christ. But there was a call that came out. That's why the gospel's preached. It's really a call. And the word of God shows there are many calls Uh, Let's look at it. It says, a psalm of praise. Well, we read the first four words. A psalm of praise. 
Now, if you look up the word, and I like to look up the words in Hebrew, the word praise means an extension. Not an extension cord, but an extension of the hand. And the Jews would praise God with their hands lifted up. And it's interesting. I grew up thinking that prayer meant you put your hands together like this. And uh, in the Bible, it's not wrong. Prayer is a position of your heart, right? I've prayed in all kinds of situations. I pray sitting down in my car. Uh, Jonah prayed in the belly of a whale. Actually, that's where his body was. He was in hell, but he prayed anyway. You can pray in any position. But raising our hands is a very natural expression. You don't have to teach anybody this of three things. It's a natural expression to lift your hands up. And again, no one has to teach you at the football game. When the Jaguars score a touchdown, lift your hands up. No. When the last day of school and the bell rings, lift your hands up. No, kids take papers and like throw them in the air. No more teachers, no more books. I don't know, we used to sing a song, right? But you celebrate by lifting your hands. You celebrate if someone wins the lottery, they're not gonna be like, praise the Lord. No, they're not going to do that. They're going to lift their hands up and be like, ha, ha, I'm going to Disney and I'm going to buy a Lamborghini. Preacher, it's Lamborghini. If you win the lottery, it doesn't matter. You have money to buy one, okay? Or three, okay? So you celebrate in praise. It's very natural, okay? When, when you lift your hands up, the first thing you do is you celebrate. The second thing you do, when you lift your hands up, you can do it because you surrender. If you're in a dark alley and you feel, you know, a piece of steel on your back and someone says, give me your money, or like that one comedian, they said this, the thief, you know, stuck a gun in your back and said, your money or your life. He didn't do anything. He said, your money or your life. And the guy said, I'm thinking about it. I'm thinking about it. But when someone sticks a gun in your back, what do you surrender? You, they, they, you, hands up. When the cops pull you over, they don't say, put your hands together. No, they say, put your hands up. Or los manos arriba, hands up. But we don't need to be told that. Why? Because I pointed a firearm at someone before, and guess what? So it was, it was uh, we were in Camp Pendleton, and there were illegal aliens coming through Camp Pendleton, so I was a military policeman. And when we lifted up, you lift up an M16 and point it in someone's face, and guess what? It translates into all languages. When you, have a, when you have an assault rifle pointed at you, you raise your hands. We surrender by lifting our hands. And the third thing is if you fall, you hurt yourself. You know, you have a kid, maybe that four-year-old who put her hands on her hips in the preschool parking lot. She falls, skins her knees. She runs to her mommy or daddy or the school aide and lifts up their hands. Why pick me up? I have a need. So celebration, surrender, and need, all of these things are really combined when we praise God. That's what I, when you, when you praise God, we want to do it intelligently, right? That's what we do. God, I'm celebrating that you are alive from the dead. God, I surrender my will to you. You know, as a, really, a, as a believer, you can't say no and Lord. Did you know that? The only answer is yes. So, Lord, I want, Lord says, I want you to do this. No, Lord. You can't say that, right? You can only surrender and say, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. And the last thing is when we praise God, we are showing we have a need. Brethren, I need God. So a preacher, I've invited people to church and they say, I'm good. 
you know, I've gone from feeling good to feeling bad in a very short amount of time. And if you've ever worked out real hard, how long does it take to you want to vomit, right? About 60 seconds, right? You can go from good to I'm going to vomit in just a few seconds. We need God. We need God. And when you're praising God, these things are all shown together. So let's keep going. So in the Old, in the Old Testament, in the book of Lamentations, it says this. In Lamentations, it's right after the book of uh, Jeremiah. Chapter 3 and verse 41. Let us lift up our heart with our hands unto God in the heavens. What about the New Testament in 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 8? I will therefore that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. Now I'm not saying that everyone has to lift up their hands. I'm just explaining it. It's very biblical and it's very natural for people to raise their hands. It's a psalm of lifting your hands. And then we see that there is the command. The Bible says this. This is the first verse of Psalm 100. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all ye lands. That's the command. So it just starts with a command. You need to do this. One day Christ will rule the earth for a thousand years and literally... All the lands will be praising Jesus Christ. Right now, not so much, right? You see that our people are, they're doing all other kinds of things, right? But now it is a call to the redeemed of the Lord. It is a call to the church, to those that would listen. There is a call to respond to, to praise God. And you know what? Who's going to listen? The Bible says this in Psalm 107. Verses 1 and 2. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good. His mercy, for his mercy endureth forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Whom he hath redeemed from the hand of the enemy. He said, it's your job, if you've been redeemed, to, to say so. God, thank you for your redemption. Thank you for your goodness. God, thank you for your love. I have a responsibility to respond to God's call to praise him. You know that in Luke chapter 19 and verse 37, so Jesus was coming to Jerusalem to be crucified. And the Bible said his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice. Why? For all the mighty works that he had seen. Everywhere Jesus went, you know, there was a, where we used to have church. The gentleman who owned the place was from Syria. So his dad was there and his dad was a Christian, the owner's father. And, uh, but Syria is also a lot of Muslims in the Syrian country. And uh, this guy who was a Christian, he goes, Muhammad, uh, Muhammad no heal. Muhammad no raise from the dead. But Jesus, he healed. Jesus, he raised from the dead. And he was saying, Muhammad, you know, he, he was a revered prophet, but Jesus really did these things. And you know what? That's the truth of the, the matter. The works of God caused men and these disciples to glorify him. Notice. And they said, blessed be the king that cometh in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees, these were the religious experts, right? From among the multitude said unto him, Master, rebuke thy disciples. Tell them to tone it down. You know, the world is always like that. 
tone it down. But you know what? They're not toning it down at the football game. They're not toning it down at the bar. But they want me to tone it down when I worship God? And that's what they told them. Master, tell your disciples, tone it down. It's not respectable. And here's what Jesus said. He answered and said unto them, I tell you that if these should hold their peace, if they tone it down, that the stones would immediately cry out. He said that the rocks are in line. And there was a song that said, I'll never let a rock cry, shout in my place. There ain't no rock that I know that can sing amazing grace. God made a difference in my life. And that's why we praise God. You know, my daughter's never heard me do a lot of things. My daughter gets a front seat at a lot of different, you know, at, uh, at uh, people's houses where people are, uh, you know, people talk to the pastor, but my daughter's right there. She gets an earful. I'm talking adult conversation. She sees, you know, fight or almost fights and arguments when we're visiting as a pastor. Preacher, why? Because I can't afford a babysitter, so we just take her with us. <laughs> And she's been to probably hospitals and different things. You're not allowed to have kids in there. You are if you don't ask. You just take them. <laughs> so it's like preacher, pre-COVID, pre-COVID, just walk right in. If you ask enough at a hospital, someone will tell you no. So that's why we just, just run her in there. So before masks, right? We didn't even have to have a mask. But she's never, she's never seen her dad do these things. There is a redeeming God. And, you know, we have something to be thankful for. Amen. Number two, verse two. You are relating, relating, putting two things together. Let's look at it. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. Well, First one, you're responding, and the second one, you are relating. What's, what's that mean? To relate is to put things together, right? You relate two things together. You relate your attitude and your action. Your attitude and your action. So in the Old Testament, in Genesis, Isaac told his wife, say, just say you're my sister. <laughs> They weren't even from like Arkansas or anything, right? Say you're my sister, honey. <laughs> That's what he told her. Say so, Abimelech, the king of the Philistines, oh, this my sister. So, and the men of the place asked him of his wife, and he said, "She's my sister." No southern accent required, right? They weren't even. For he feared to say, "She is my wife," lest said he, the men of the place should kill me. For his wife, was, her name was Rebecca, because she was fair to look upon. That means she was very attractive, okay? And he's like, oh, they're going to see her and kill me and take her, right? And it came to pass, when he had been there a long time, he let his guard down, right? That Abimelech, the king of the Philistines, looked out at a window and saw, and behold, Isaac was sporting with Rebecca, his wife. What does that mean? He's messing around. You know, he's playing a little grabby and different things. Not how you should act towards your sister, right? He was being amorous with his wife. And, Rebe and Abimelech said unto Isaac, Behold, of a surety, 
<laughs> That's your wife. You know, people don't act that way with their sister. What was he doing? He was matching up his attitude to his wife with his action. And of course, he had to come clean. He said, I thought I was going to die. And so that's why I said that. Well, we need to match up our attitude and our action. Too often we as Christians will do the action without the attitude. Now, God requires us to do it. Have you ever seen the little rascals? Spanky was one of the little rascals. I think it was Spanky. And it's, you can probably find this on YouTube. This, uh, this uh, gentleman, they're eating, right? And the gentleman serving the food said, you will eat your mush and like it. I don't know what mush is. Is that like, is that like oatmeal? Do you know what mush is, sister? I don't know what mush is. Pardon? So similar to oatmeal. Okay, so it's kind of like oatmeal. I don't know if I've ever had mush, but he said, you will eat your mush and like it. And Spanky said, well, I'm going to eat it. But I won't like it. You know, a lot of people say, well, I'll praise God, but I won't like it. Say, preacher, isn't that good enough? It's not. And I'm being very gentle here, but the Bible commands us to serve the Lord with gladness. Now, I say, well, that was just a suggestion. I don't see that it's a suggestion. I don't see that you can opt out. It's like, oh, I opt out of that, and I opt out of that, and I opt out of that. We shouldn't want to opt out, though. We look for gladness. But... uh let me look at, let me just show you this. So a preacher, I'm just going to be like, I'll eat my mush, but I won't like it. Okay. I'll serve the Lord, but I'm not going to like it. Deuteronomy chapter 28. Let me just read you a few things. Verses 45 to 48. Deuteronomy, if you would check it out. Moreover, all these curses shall come upon thee and shall pursue thee and overtake thee. Till thou be destroyed, because thou hearkenest not unto the voice of the Lord thy God. It means you didn't listen. To keep his commandments and his statutes, which he commanded thee. Well, what, what did they disobey? Because, and it said, they shall be for thee, upon thee for a sign and for a wonder. And upon thy seed forever. Now, here was their sin. Because thou servest not the Lord, thy God, with joyfulness. What? And with gladness of heart. You mean if I serve God without gladness, he'll judge me for it? I'm not saying that. The Bible's saying that. <laughs> and it said, for the abundance of all things. Really, it's just unthankful. Have you ever seen someone that they, you give them all this stuff and they're like, nah, whatever. Therefore, Bible says, thou shalt serve thine enemies. He said, well, see how you like it there. Which the Lord shall send against thee in hunger and in thirst and in nakedness and in want of all things. God said, okay, if you don't like them serving me, go back and serve the Egyptians. And they will show you a little bit of a difference there. You know, when I joined the Marine Corps, I was like, I think I made a mistake. Because they weren't treating me like my mommy and my daddy, right? I thought mommy and daddy were mean. When I was 18, I realized the drill instructors were mean. Mommy and daddy were nice, right? But I learned a lot of appreciation for mommy and daddy, okay? But here's what the Bible says here. God wants us to marry or relate our attitude and our action. Doesn't the Bible say in 2 Corinthians, so preacher, surely it doesn't even mean how you give in the offering. We already know what it says, right? The Lord loveth a what? 
cheerful giver. It's all the way through there. And what it's not saying that you have to smile when you put your offering. It's supposed to say that we're supposed to just serve God with this joyfulness and freedom. I mean, don't you all want to be like a five-year-old? I want to be like a five-year-old, just skip down the lane and have a good time. Because there's a joyfulness missing from a lot of our walk with God. And that joyfulness will make you excited to be a Christian. I remember um, I heard this account. And I, I guess it's true, but I wasn't there. But that, uh, And some of you also may have heard this. That this, uh, this preacher, he's a grown-up. God touched his heart during this altar call to take another preacher's hand and skip across the stage. You know, like little kid. Doo, 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 doo. I, I don't know if I can skip right now. but And just skip across the stage. That's it. That's it. God, God touched his heart. Now make sure it's God. Okay, if God tells you to do that. But God told him to do that. And someone came down to the altar and gave their heart to Jesus Christ. And they went and talked to the man. Has anyone else heard this? Uh, this is an old illustration, and they asked the man, "Why, you know, why did you, why, did you, you know, what prompted you to come down to the to the altar and accept Christ?" And I don't remember the exact words, but it was basically shared. When I saw just that joy and that that peace and that like that excitement of just you know like being a little kid, he said, "That's what I wanted in my life." You know, people are really looking for that freedom that comes from just just having joy. And I know we have bills as adults, but guess what? That's okay. You're still here, right, through all those bills. And you're still here. Well, I got car problems. I probably have more lights on my car than you do. In fact, I turn a couple of them off because I have a little, little uh, uh, what do they call that, computer? What do they call that, scanner? I can turn a couple of them off. A couple of them just stay on. But what are they? I don't know. They're just like Christmas. I just like, got, I got so many lights on, you can come look at them. What do you, why don't you just get them fixed? It's cheaper, so let them stay on. <laughs> Oh, I can fix them, but it's a used car. You can fix a used car until you run out of money. <laughs> so, Attitude and action to relate those together. For no man ever yet hated his own flesh, Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 29. But nourisheth and cherisheth it, even as the Lord the church. And what I'm sharing there is in marriage, and this is a real key to a joy in marriage. Nourishing is an action, right? You nourish your flesh. You take care of it. You wash it. You feed it. Unless you're my daughter when she was like two, she'd go in the bath for like half an hour and no soap would touch that body, right? I mean, but that's what you're supposed to do in the shower, anywhere with the bath. But we nourish our flesh. That's an action. But this is talking about marriage. But the Bible says that a man cherishes his flesh. That means he takes care of it with an attitude, right? And in our marriages, if we marry a positive action with a positive attitude. Here, I bought you flowers. Hope you like them. That is a good action. But you've negated all of those, all of the action with the attitude. Ask me how I know. Ask me how I know. Okay? <laughs> so I'm just saying action with attitude. And I laugh. So you go, honey, if you're going to do something nice for me, you've got to be nice. You're like, oh, man, really? It doesn't count. Let me tell you, it doesn't count. I've done it. And you're still out the money, but it still doesn't count, right? It's like fixing your car and it doesn't get fixed, right? You're still out the money, right? You need action and attitude to serve God. And I've got like three things. Okay, let me just see. Okay, the third thing. Verse three. <laughs> you are realizing. You are realizing 
Know ye that the Lord, he is God. When we praise God, we're putting God where God belongs and us where we belong. It is he that hath made us. Let me just insert there, male and female. There was this guy that went and asked this lady on the street, right? How many genders are there? And she's like, um, I think she said like nine. He's like, nope, nope. Oh, no. You think there's nine? She's like, no. And this is true. I mean, she was, she was actually, she goes, um, like, you can look at it. I mean, they're all over these interviews. She's like, ten. He's like, no, no, close. You know, she's like, oh, I think she goes up to 11, right? And he's like, no, it's, it's two. <laughs> Why? Why? Because he made them. Who? Our creator. Male and female. And that's not to be, and I understand people struggle with sexuality, but we need to put God where God is. And God made us male and female. And uh, we can interpret it any way you want it, but still, it, 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 it's, it's that God made us into two genders. And the only way that he sanctifies a relationship that's sexual is between a husband, a man, and a wife, a woman. Amen. So... Why? Because he that has made us and not we ourselves. Uh, you know, it's interesting. One of the ways that cults will come into being is they will take away the divinity of Jesus Christ. You find that the Mormons do that. And I, I'm not trying to pick on religions, but you find that the Jehovah's Witnesses do that. They take away the divinity of Christ. They make him less than God. But let me tell you, Jesus Christ is a member of the Godhead, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, they are three persons. They are all co-equally God. They're not the same person, though. Jesus prayed to the Father. But you say, preacher, I thought Jesus was just a, you know, a good guy or a man or like God's like first. No, the Bible says this in Colossians chapter 1 and verse, boy, I'm running out of time. Let me just read verse Colossians chapter 1. And verses 16 and 17. For by him, by Christ, were all things created. Jesus created everything. That's not the work of a man or a prophet. That's the work of God. That are in heaven, that are in earth, visible and invisible. Whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. That means it even influences. It says, all things were created by him and for him. And he is before all things, and by him all things consist. You know, the Bible says if you open it up and start reading, it says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Who? You mean God the Father? God the Holy Ghost? No. Jesus created everything. And then you look at John chapter 1 and verse 1, and it says, In the beginning was, it kind of starts out like Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was. The word. Who's that? Jesus, the Logos, the spoken word of God. And the word was with God and the word was God. And some people say, well, that's not good enough for me. Well, you know, it's interesting. Peter in the book of Acts was called to a place and uh, Cornelius met him, this centurion, this Roman soldier, captain of a hundred men. And it says he fell down at his feet and worshiped Peter. Now I've seen that. It was like, I don't know if it was Catholics or whatever, but um, I was at an airport and this lady, there was like a gentleman who was like dressed in like the, the you know, gown or the, the religious stuff. And this lady came in and, and, and like, like bent down and like kissed his ring. 
And I was like, ew. I mean, I didn't say anything, but I was like, and, and uh, he just kind of like held his ring out. It wasn't the Pope. It was just some, and I'm not, I'm not picking up, but brethren, God doesn't tell us to like bow down and worship a man or a woman. Look at Peter. Peter took him up. Peter grabbed the dude saying, stand up. I myself also am a man. He didn't say, yes, kiss my ring. Yes, curtsy, bow to me. I am Peter. No, he didn't say that. He said, stand up. Let's worship God. Now, in Matthew, the Bible said that a man came in Matthew chapter 9, verse 18. I'm running out of time. A certain ruler and worshiped him. In Mark chapter 5, verse 6, when he saw Jesus afar off, he ran and worshiped him. Luke 24 and 52, and they worshiped him. John chapter 9 and verse 38, and he worshiped him. In all four gospels, Jesus received Worship. You know, Jesus, if he was not God and he received worship, he would be a false God. But he's not a false God. He is a real God. Verse 4. We have the result. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful unto him and bless his name. When you rejoice, you spiritually start to move. There is movement in your life. You can rejoice your way. In it, and really, I know that depression is real. And I know that it's a diagnosable. So a preacher, what do you know about that? I've been depressed. Okay. I've been diagnosed. I sat, there wasn't a couch either. I went to the psychiatrist. It was a chair. Okay. So you don't go sit on the couch, right? I mean, I'm not mocking it, but it was serious, but I was a teenager and it was a chair. Okay. But so I, I understand that it's serious, but you know, we can also worship our way out of feeling blue. You can worship your way out of, and you can fill your mind with good things. God, it says, where you enter into his gates, that's the exterior perimeter, and into his courts, right? That's the interior part. You're moving with thanksgiving and praise. The Bible says in Psalms 37 and verse 4 and 5, Delight thyself also in the Lord, and he shall give thee the desires of thine heart. What are you supposed to do? Work hard. No, delight yourself in the Lord. And it says, no good thing will he withhold from him that walketh uprightly. And then it says, he that findeth a wife, findeth a good thing. So my wife is my good thing. But you know, and so a preacher, did you have a, I had a time looking for a wife too. And I just started to go serve God and pray and, and God, it was awesome. So thank God for my wife. Last, last, uh, last verse. It causes us to remember the character of God. It causes us to remember the character of God. When you rejoice, verse 5, For the Lord is good. His mercy is everlasting. And His truth endureth to all generations. You know, the New Testament reveals Jesus Christ the same. Yesterday. And today. And not tomorrow, but the Bible says, And forever. And I like what someone said, when you can't see his hand, trust his heart. And we need to know the very heart of God. And I know we all face things, and you're probably facing things today, but the, the psalmist pens in the very last verse, the Lord's good. He is a good God. His mercy is everlasting, and his truth endureth to all generations. In the South, when I came to the South, um, 
someone told me, they knew I was a preacher. And they said, God is good. And I looked at them and I said, yes, he is. <laughs> and I realized that in the South, maybe it's in Christian circles. but I, I didn't know. But when someone said God's good, what are you supposed to say? All the time. 